Thank you for downloading this sponsored podcast presented by PR Week. For more podcasts, visit us online at prweek.com. Hi, everyone. This is Gideon Fiddles. I'm Magic Editor of PR Week. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to this very special podcast sponsored by Coin Public Relations. Much gratitude to them for doing so. Our session today will focus on corporate social advocacy, particularly on social media platforms. It's a particularly poignant topic in an age when purpose has become so prevalent. We're going to discuss the all-too-common scenario of brands getting involved in social conversations with good intentions, but not getting the reaction they quite expected or wanted. We're going to be offer valuable counsel on the where, how, and even why of engaging on social platforms. Of course, the key to any great discussion is a great leader with whom to have that conversation. Well, I've outdone myself in that category today, as I have two such professionals joining me. Tim Schramm, EVP of CoinPR, and... Kimberly Whitler, Frank M. Sands, Associate Professor of Business Administration, University of Virginia, Darden School of Business. Tim and Kim, thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you. And Great to be Thank you. And in a note that probably no one's going to care about, my best friend's son actually just in, is actually in his freshman year at Virginia, and he's loving it. So there's a plug for your wonderful school. Go Cavaliers. Terrific. Tim, you, Tim, you don't have a problem with me saying that on, on air, right? I do not. <laughs> okay, good. There's some colleges that people might not want me to support, but Virginia, cool. Anyway, I've been looking forward to this conversation so much, so let's just get right to it. So, last month, Kim contributed an article to Forbes entitled, Engaging in Activism That Picks a Side Can Be Bad for Business. Given the seemingly deeper than ever political, ideological, and societal divide between the right and the left today, this is a really poignant topic, and it's one of those major decisions brands have to make these days. Kim, I'm happy to give you the floor to discuss this. What are the pitfalls to avoid when choosing a side on controversial issues? Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. I, you know, I have to say that there's a lot of pressure put on CEOs and marketers today to stand up, to quote, stand up. And many, frankly, are struggling to navigate what is a very difficult issue. Um, to share a little bit of data and put this in perspective, Edelman found that 64% of consumers make purchasing decisions based on whether a brand represents their beliefs. And Barron's reported that nearly 60% want companies to take a stand on social issues. It's not surprising then that a Porter Novelli study found that executives, we're talking about executives, said that companies, quote, must address everything from women's rights to sexual harassment to domestic job growth to privacy issues to security issues and more. And so the common refrain that companies are dealing with is that they must take a stand. The problem is that this is really a blunt answer to a very nuanced issue. And so the pitfalls really exist, not always. There are many times when you can take a stand when it's unifying, with, when most people would agree with you. But the pitfalls tend to exist when you take a polarizing position. And there's four that you have to worry about. One is that you inadvertently reposition your brand. So if you are a, an apolitical mass brand, and there's a lot of these from Tide Laundry Detergent to Gillette to Procter or to Coke to Pepsi, they're historically fairly apolitical. If you take a, a position on, that aligns with the political ideology, you have inadvertently repositioned your brand to align with that political ideology. Now this is different than if you were born aligned with a political ideology like Patagonia or Ben and Jerry's. People understand that, they know that. 
but people tend to think that brands like Pepsi and Coke are fairly apolitical, and they're for anybody, no matter what your political ideology is. So that's a potential pitfall. The second is it can potentially damage your brand image. And so I've been digging into the data to look at what's happening to corporate reputations of companies that are aligning on more divisive issues. And it tends to have some sort of, you know, it's, real, it's correlated. I can't claim it's causation, but it tends to be correlated with some brand declines. The third pitfall is that you can alienate key stakeholders, not just consumers, but your employees. You can alienate investors. You can alienate suppliers. And so there's a whole ecosystem of stakeholders that if it's a divisive issue, it's not just your consumers that may be divided, it's all these other players. And then lastly, I've been doing some work with somebody who is a political expert and does a lot of advising of boards. And he said, once you enter the boxing ring of politics, that's what he calls it, the boxing ring of politics, you are a perpetual target. And so when companies inadvertently take one stand and think that that's going to be it, what they end up doing is, is unbeknownst to them, sometimes raising their hands and then they become a target for activists, potentially on both sides that can come at them. And so these are kind of pitfalls that we don't necessarily um, think of when we start just answering a question, you know, that's a media query, but it can take us down this kind of rabbit hole of a lot of, a lot of negative uh, potential ramifications. Well, I'm sure brands, some of them probably long for the day when it was just about how good their product was. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that, it's not that anymore. You know, sometimes I get the feeling that maybe it's not a boxing ring. I think it's more like the octagon, right? You got to watch the feet. You got to watch everything. The head butts, everything. It's really dangerous out there. Tim, any thoughts from your end, my friend? Sure. So Kim's absolutely right. There's a, a, a lot of pitfalls there. I, I do think there is opportunities for brands um, to truly make a difference for things that, that they value themselves. I think if the Public Affairs Council sort of has a good uh, framework for this and they look at three different areas where brands and companies can choose, and one is a supporter. So that's someone who might make statements, but maybe the company doesn't have a formal position. But as Kim stated, uh, some brands can get into trouble if, if they haven't formalized what they're thinking about. The second is a partner. So that's defined position that a company has. They have others that support them, the other stakeholders, uh, maybe it's NGOs or organizations. And then the third is a champion. And those are organizations that have a very a small number of issues, but they'll go deep on those issues rather than try to be everything to everyone. And, and there's other um, there's other groups be, besides the Public Affairs Council that have different ranges and different buckets. But I, I think that's a good framework for folks to, uh, to follow if they're looking at this. Excellent. Thank you both for that. Now, as Kim and Tim have already sort of laid out, this is obviously very, very important, but it can be very, very tricky. Brands really have to think about how they get involved in causes. And this next question will probably really, you know, really, really feed into some of the challenges that can come from this. Many brands either get involved in conversations on social platforms about key societal issues and or they get involved in a cause, but they do not get the reaction they expect or worse, actually draw the ire of many for their quote unquote misstep. Good intentions end up leading to a bad result. Tim, 
what can brands do when they are put back on their heels like this? What's the best response to this crisis? Well, it, the, the best response, frankly, is to have a, a strategy in place beforehand. And I, I think that is where brands get in trouble is when they are uh, driven by the news of the day and feel they must comment. So I, I think a key thing is to, to really have that strategy in place. But, but I think there's a couple of things. One is for the brand to understand who is reacting to them. So it might not be their consumer or it might not be even a fan of their brand. And if a brand has a strong set of values, then their brand fans will come up and, and defend them uh, if it's on a social media channel. It's also okay. We'll, we'll see often where a brand might be a little ill-informed or not as informed as they thought they should have been. It's okay to apologize in that case. It's okay to do so. You should articulate what it is, where your misstep was, what you're going to do to learn more. So I think, you know, the apology route is sometimes a, uh, a dicey thing because you, you don't want to make that step, but, but I think that's okay. And, and then the last thing I would say is this is a really important topic and this is something that COIN actually workshops with brands is real life examples to sort of pressure test when they should comment or what might happen if they comment, because it is such an important issue. And I, I think everyone, frankly, comes from the same view, which is they want to help. They, they want to be respectful of people. There's no, I, I don't think there's ill intention, but that backlash can certainly happen. So I, I think it's really important to, to have that strategy in place and to really test before you go out and uh, start commenting on issues. That's sound advice. Thank you. And Kim, obviously, love to hear what you have to say as well. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with Tim. I mean, I, I think the key is to be prepared. I just don't think that you want to be caught flat-footed, and I don't think you want to be reacting. And so a lot of these mistakes are things that are said, almost they're really inadvertent. And so, you know, I think going through preparation, this is, this is like pre preventing crises from occurring. And so one of the, I really would, would emphasize preventing it from happening because you've done a lot of workshops, you've conducted, you know, uh, you've, you've gone through training, you know, the CEO's gone through training, the whole C-suite's gone through training. And, and so when, when this actually comes up, you have a much better strategy and plan to handle it so that you don't put yourself into the misstep position. So I think a lot of times, you know, whether you're dealing with security breaches, so I've talked about that in the past, a lot of the, t the way that you deal with security breaches is to make sure you're doing a lot of the work up front. You don't wait for the breach to occur. And I think, I, I don't think that many companies are spending or investing the time to think through this stuff, be really principled in terms of what engagement they want you proactively uh, what what sandbox do they want to play? And they shouldn't be reacting to questions. They should have a very clear vision of where their activism efforts lie, why they are there, how to handle those, and then how to prevent themselves from stepping into traps, if you will, and other issues. So, I mean, my simple answer would be to do the work up front to really try to prevent a misstep from occurring. 
You know, I appreciate that. And, you know, it might sound like a simple answer, but it's, it's so important because consumers will have a lot more confidence in companies and organizations that are prepared for these situations. Nothing's going to go perfect, but when something amiss happens, you, maybe you could keep it from reaching that real crisis DEFCON 1 level. I think it's DEFCON 1 is the worst one, not DEFCON 5. I never quite understood that, but whatever the worst one is. But if you could really be prepared for it, you could really, really avoid them, like, like him and Tim said. And I think that's really, really great advice. Simple, but brilliant. Thank you for that. Now, our next topic here is one that is interesting to me as well, because brands often find themselves thinking about, hmm, there's so many social media platforms out there which one should I use for this launch or, to, or for this you know, product rollout or whatever it might be? But you know what? There's a where or which platform, if you'd prefer, to this conversation as well. So the prevalence of social media channels means that brands have their pick of where to post those first messages when they do get involved in these conversations. And that, of course, includes their own channels, their own website. Tim, is there a specific social platform that tends to be most effective or well-considered when it comes to entering specific conversations about social issues? Our advice is always that you need to follow the stakeholders. So it, it's easier to go where they are, where they're actively engaging versus trying to bring them to you. So for your consumer, it might be on Twitter. It may be on Instagram. I do think there's a, a valuable role for companies to make their um, positions known on LinkedIn. I just think that's a, a place where you're going to reach a lot of other stakeholders beyond the consumer. Of course, consumers are on there as well. Every, everyone is a consumer in some reason. I think regardless of which social media platform you're on, I think it's always a good idea. Like you mentioned, you know, the uh, having it on your website. I think there should always be a link back to that, whether it's the company blog or the website, because it's really hard to get into some of these complicated issues or even divisive issues in just a, a couple of sentences. So I, I think that's always a, a great rule of thumb is to have more information than not and have that available and, and link to that so people can find out more about what your position is from a company standpoint. You know, I think that's really great advice. And, you know, it's funny, the, 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 more, the more and more you know, brand leaders that I talk to, you know, it's really, really interesting how they've gotten so, they've gotten so focused on, you know, what their response will be on a Twitter or a LinkedIn or a Facebook and Instagram. Sometimes they forget about their own house, their own website. You could put, you know, you, your website could still end up being one of the most powerful platforms that you have. And it's one that you could control completely as opposed to social right. media channels, which you cannot. So, you know, don't forget your websites when, you, when you're dealing with these kinds of things. It's very, very important. Now, Kim, Absolutely. thanks, Tim. Kim, I am going to close with my shortest question of the podcast, but one that I'm really, I'm thinking you're going to have an awesome answer to. It's about what advice would you give to CEOs who are trying to navigate all this effectively? And as we've already established, it's a lot to navigate. So what advice would you give them? Yeah, no, this is, I mean, this is, a, there's a lot, actually that you could provide but i think a few key things that i would suggest first make sure you right size your brand purpose so your brand purpose really should serve as a boundary that defines what is in bounds and out of bounds and let me just give you two examples pepsi says that they want to create more smiles with every sip and every bite all right versus coke that says refresh the world and make a difference and so one has a much broader boundary. When you say make a difference, it's almost limitless. 
And so if where does the boundary start and stop? Pepsi's is a little bit more defining. And so you want to think about how you want to architect your brand purpose so that it guides your company's behavior. Okay, the second thing is, I am a big fan of living your values or living your activism more than promoting them. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, I, and I help students understand this by wearing a sign around my neck that says, I care deeply for students. And I wear it all class. And then at the end, I said, what happens? How do you know what my values are? Well, it's based on my behavior. But if I promote my values and I run a TV ad or I run a promotion saying, Kim Whitler cares deeply for you, what is natural human behavior? We're looking for hypocrisy or skeptical. And so when companies promote their values, it encourages consumers or stakeholders to, to, to try to catch them when they're not living up to their values. So the better way to behave is live your activism. Just behave in concert with your values and the promotion will come through others. The third thing I would say is make sure you have vocal ideological diversity in the C-suite. Okay, this is a clear blind spot when companies are not balanced in terms of ideology and when one view dominates the other, that view may end up taking the winning the day and it's not representing the breadth of diversity of ideological diversity that exists in your stakeholders. Uh, and then the last thing I would say comes back to this idea of being prepared. And the reality is, you know, we do this at Darden all the time. We have case studies. Why do we send students and executives through case studies? Because then they can practice working through a problem when it doesn't matter. And so there are so many examples now of companies that have stepped in this you can you could run case study workshops in the c-suite and start working on plans on how to how to manage this prepare for this etc so that you don't get into trouble so those i mean that's kind of four key points that i would suggest are areas that you could uh, engage in to try to better manage through what is a very tricky situation as navigating activism so i knew heading into this that it's, it's always wise to have a professor on a podcast like this because you want to learn something who better than a professor, right? Kim, thank you so much for making me look a little smart by having you on this. Tim, you too, of course, very brilliant man. Um, I'd like to give you some um, time to give some closing thoughts about what you, you know, just some, just some general thoughts about how to best navigate, navigate this for CEOs or even communicators, if you wish. Right. Well, uh, Kim was spot on in everything she said. I think the point about diversity is, is so crucial. Mm -hmm. um, it, you just have to have different points of view and you have to have different points of view at a high level because otherwise, as she said, you, you can get very uh, similar approaches and similar viewpoints. I think it's great if a, if a company has a cross-functional team, so it, it's not all C-suite, it's just different people within the organization, the diverse backgrounds, a, a dedicated team that can sort of bring these issues and sort of have a pulse on what the stakeholders are thinking. And I, I think that could give valuable feedback to when Kim talks about that value and purpose that are, is that company living those values and that purpose? I think if you have a cross-functional team that sort of keeps their ears to the ground and, and focuses on that, it lets that company 
have a good uh, a framework of if they're following through, are they delivering, sort of walking the walk. Um, I, I think it's so crucial. So everything that Tim said is spot on. I think the, um, you know, sort of having that cross-functional team. And then at the, really at the end, what people really want, they want to be treated with dignity, honor, and respect. So if that's the 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 framework that you look at things, if that's how you're communicating with people, if that's the way you're interacting with folks on social media, um, that's just a, a, a great guiding philosophy. I mean, that, that there's nothing there's nothing that a person could disagree with if if your approach and and your language and your actions are about dignity, honor, and respect. Thank you for that. And thank you both. I mean, this is a very, very important topic. It's something that every single brand is going to be facing increasingly going forward. Um, it's tricky. It's tricky to navigate it. But you know what? Really some really great counselors here that I think can help some brands out there. And obviously this conversation is going to continue within the industry and across, across, across the entire business landscape for quite a while. So it's always really exciting to talk about this. And so obviously Tim and Kim, I want to thank you both so much for sharing your perspectives and taking the time from your very busy schedules to speak with me today. Thanks, of course, to Coin Public Relations for making this event possible with its support. And thanks to all of you out there for joining as well. Please don't forget to go to PRWeek.com where you can check out all the terrific podcasts we have for you. They're all educational and inspirational, much like I believe this one is as well. For now, this is Gideon Fiddles, a magic editor of PR Week, wishing you all a great rest of your day. Thank you all so much.